0: As a pastor, I was in my room at my house upstairs just before this really got more public. I just, being connected to missionaries, I see a lot of this stuff, and I just, I was on the floor weeping. I was like, God, please, please uh, pray for Afghanistan. Well, I would like to give you our last message here on the Ark of the Covenant. The book of Exodus, our whole theme here, has been Exodus. And if you would turn to Exodus 25, chapter 10, I'm going to skim through this because we're going to read a lot of other verses. Um, So if you turn there to Exodus. I need to change my display as you're turning there. Exodus chapter 25, verse 10. So that it doesn't. All right, we'll do the best we can here. I'm going to ask the uh, media team to just keep an eye on it. I'm having troubles with keeping my phone open and I have to unlock it constantly. So if we have to do this thing, that uh, you just change the slides that way. Let me read this to you: the Ark of the Covenant. This is the very throne of God. This is where God would sit. We covered everything from the the brazen altar to the to the to the laver where they would rinse their hands and it was the material of a mirror, bronze. And we covered the curtains and how you had to come in through the gate and you were confronted with the sin issue right from the beginning. And then you would come in and we would see incense, which represented prayer, and the menorah, which meant we were to be light to the world around us. And then, of course, the table of showbread to be reminded constantly that God provides for us our daily bread. But there was behind a veil one item which we see right here the ark of the covenant that was only entered one time a year by one person the high priest on the day of atonement and they would walk up up to it they would anoint it with blood they would make atonement for the people of israel and they would walk out and that was the only time that that was that room was ever entered one person one time one day out of the out of each year that that would happen and hebrews puts it like this speaking of jesus if you remember the story of the of the crucifixion of christ when he cried he said father into your hands i commit my spirit there was an earthquake and the bible says that the temple curtain ripped in two the very curtain that always kept this hidden from everyone ripped in two and hebrews puts it like this therefore let us come boldly before the throne of grace it says that no longer do we have to depend on one person one day out of the year to go through there but the 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 sacrifice of jesus ripped wide open our access to jesus and anyone who calls on the name of the lord will be saved It doesn't matter if you are in the middle of an adulterous relationship. If you want to get your life right with God, if you call on the name of the Lord, you can be saved. He can save you from that situation. If you are in the middle of a corrupt business, Partnership. If you call on the name of the Lord, you can be saved. If you are running from a guilty conscience because of, of, of what you've taken that doesn't belong to you, or if you are, are, are in bondage to an addiction, or we could go on and on here all day long. If you have a respect issue with your parents and you've cut them out of your life, you can call on the name of the Lord and re-honor that relationship so long as it's not toxic And harmful to you. Because anyone who calls on the name of the Lord be saved. And that veil was rent in two. And it's so hard for us to imagine a lack of access to Jesus. In fact, I think we have the opposite problem. Is that we sometimes treat it as if we flippantly have access before God. But these people would walk in, never turn their back to the presence of God with respect and reverence. And that's something that I think we need to recapture. But, but here's the, the most important thing. That item represented the very presence of God because it was the throne of God. Listen to this, Exodus 25, 10 through 22. They shall make an ark of acacia wood. Two cubits and a half shall be its length and a cubit and a half its breadth and a cubit and a half its height. From your elbow to your finger is a cubit. So one and a half, one and a half, and then two. So it's all shaped out. That one is actually to size. Verse 12, you shall cast four rings of gold and put them on its two, four feet, two rings on each side of it, two rings on the other side of it. You shall make poles of acacia wood, overlay them with gold. You shall put poles in the rings in the sides of the ark and carry them. Poles shall remain in the rings in the ark. They shall not be taken from it. And you shall put the ark, the testimony uh, you shall put into the ark. The testimony that I shall give you, he's referring here to the Ten Commandments, there's going to be a copy of them that's held in there. There was a copy that the people had, but there was a copy that was put inside the ark. You shall make a mercy seat of pure gold. I love how the chair that God sits in is not called the judgment seat, but it's called the mercy seat. How many of you could use some mercy today? Then he said this, to be two cubits. He gives the dimensions again, verse 18, and it shall be, ma- the, and you shall make two cherubim of gold, two angels of hammered work, and you shall make them on the two ends of the mercy seat. Make one cherub on the end and one on cherub on the other of the piece with the mercy seat. Shall you make the cherubim in two ends? The cherubim shall, be sp- shall spread their wings out Above, overshadowing the mercy seat with their wings, their faces one to another towards the mercy seat, shall their faces of the cherubim be. So in other words, the angels' faces are facing each other. You shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark. In the ark, you shall put the testimony that I shall give you. There I will meet with you. And from above the mercy seat, from between the cherubim, that are on the ark of the testimony, I will speak with you about all that I will give you in the commandment In commandment for the people of Israel. The mercy seat of God. You know what's interesting? Uh, um, believe it or not, your husband, David Hodge, who's a professor at the Bible College, took a class on Phoenician archaeology, and we were talking a bit about this. You tend to see these kind of almost like designs on things. They... They don't know what's at the top of the temple. They don't, there's nothing that we read that describes this. But this is usually an addition of what they thought to be Phoenician art. And so, uh, but if this is a seat, I wouldn't appreciate that. That's like somebody putting a tack on your chair, right? So probably it didn't have these things here. And the angels, you normally see the angels pictured like this. I just want to give you information for a minute because we're going to get some revelation and transformation by God in a moment here. But I I want you to see this. Let me show you this. I want to show you this. Here we go. Uh, Let me just do the the thing there. In the ancient world, everyone had pictures of gods, goddesses, and angels. This is an Egyptian goddess, Isis. They had another one, Maat. And there they are with their wings and gold. The the, uh, Assyrians have this winged animal, and it kind of reminds or sounds or harkens to Ezekiel, the four-faced creature, the face of a man, the face of an eagle, the face of an ox, and the face of an eagle. They all had this, and and right there you can even see in Babylon a Mesopotamian uh, man with wings in back of him. All of them had this imagery that was like it, and in Egypt you often see, connected to the throne, these winged goddesses or these winged people, and you you see them in the chair itself there. You see how the two wings are, those that's actually the throne of King Tutankhamun, where he would put his left and right arm and they were held up by the wings of these creatures but most likely I think, and this is my theory, I've never heard anyone say it, but this is me being collegiate right now, uh, I think From a practical standpoint, if this is the mercy seat of God, most likely there aren't these pointy things. The angels are facing each other, but they're most likely having their wings held because it's the very backrest of God. How many of you have ever been in a desperate hour of your life and said, God, bear me up on wings of eagles, like David prayed? Mount mount me up. Hold me. Bring me under your feet. The feathers of your arm take me into you god himself angels held his back as a backrest it's just a beautiful picture of that that'll change your life huh so check this out when it comes to the ark you've got this imagery of it whenever you watch the discovery how many of you remember indiana jones do you know that he's an actual person i know there's debate on whether george lucas based his character off of him, but he is a southern guy that used to just show up and he he drove the Israelis nuts because he would look for... he His his uh, search was for the Ark of the Covenant. He's the only person that's found any items from the original temple. He found some of the the um, perfumes and incenses. And he, but he would walk up and he'd be like, light some dynamite, blow up that cave, let's see what's in it, you know? And they just freak out. The Israelis were like, oh, you... Vase just crazy. And if you watch the Discovery Channel or the History Channel, they have all these theories of how it was an electrical lightning box. And if you've seen uh, India, the last Indiana Jones Raiders of the Lost Ark, you've seen that, you know, lightning blows away the Nazis. And, but the, this is related to God's presence. It's God's throne among people. It's God's presence among men. And there's all kinds of stories and traditions surrounding this. For instance, if you've probably heard it preached that that they would tie a rope around the ankle of the high priest and when he would go in there, he would minister before the Lord but they would have that rope because only one person was supposed to go there and if he died, how would you get him out? And so they would pull him out. Well, the truth is that's really just a legend. We don't even hear, see, or read about anything of that in the Bible, we don't read about it. In Judaism, we don't read about it outside of Judaism. It's something that somebody wrote in the time of the Crusades, and it's, it's really a weak tradition. But, yeah, you can hear it in my voice, huh? Thank you. Come here. Thank you very much. Love you. <laughs> Thank you. That's better. So... If you, in fact, they were terrified because there's these Old Testament stories of people who touched the ark and died. And when the Romans came in the, a, after the time of Jesus and, they, and before the time of Jesus, one particular, and, and all of this stuff, by the way, is in the notes. If you want, I'm not going to read it to you, but uh, literally the Roman Emperor Pompey, they named a city after him. He walked into the temple itself, And it says that the priests were watching him to expect him to drop dead and nothing happened. And he walked out and he says, I don't understand it. There's no idol in there. There's no image. There's There's no God in there. There's nothing in there. But he didn't drop dead. If you go to... If you go, in fact, to, uh, I believe this is Paris, it it escapes me, whenever the Romans would conquer a people, they would celebrate the general and they would build an arch for them and they'd have a parade and they'd walk underneath it, the triumphal procession. And uh, as they walked under it, inside there, you have the arch of Titus the other general who who conquered Jerusalem in 70 A.D., and it's got a picture of the menorah that's in there. With it. That's all that we really see from the temple. So we don't see the ark, we don't see those kind of things or anything like that. But all that to say is, is that that many people through the ages came through and they said, you know, what do we do here? How, how, how do we approach the presence of God? The Jews were terrified of it. The Gentiles were not impressed with it except for the the glamour of the temple. But the truth of the matter is, God has ripped a veil so that you and me can walk into the presence of God. And God wants to make His presence work through you because God uses people with His presence. That's the first thing I want you to catch here. Listen to this. God uses people with His presence. What kind of people? Listen to this. It says this in Exodus 31, 1 through 3. In fact, that should be up there. There it is. Look at this. The Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by name Bazalel, son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. I have filled him with, look at what he's filled with, the Spirit of God, with ability, with intelligence, with knowledge, and with craftsmanship. (laughs) Think about this for a second. This is something that we have so cut church and Jesus into secular and sacred, we sometimes miss the practical connection for God. If you're here today and you are an artist, guess what? God not only has given you that ability, but he wants it to flourish and reveal himself through that. The very icons and images that God created that would house the presence of God came through the skill of an artist. Don't underestimate the, the fact that God could use your artisanship to do incredible things, to do practical things. It was practical for the children of Israel to have something where they could say, God, we invite you to join us. But it was always God that made it special. It's not your art, something that you touch and the power of God goes through it, nor is it something that you should be ashamed about within, within Christianity, like it's a secular thing and this is a sacred place and they have nothing to do with it because the very same God who said no idols also overlaid the temple with gold, created angels on an ark, made a menorah, and all kinds of works came through somebody who's artistic. I just think that it's, it's so beautiful to see that God uses people. He uses people to make his presence beautiful, but he also uses people to usher his presence. When we were in Israel, there was a guide that went up to Pastor Dylan and said to him, who were you Bible college students? You don't know nothing. And so he was like, all of a sudden, okay. He goes, who was it that carried the ark of the Lord? Who was it? And so what would you say if I said, who were the people that carried the ark? Levites, right? He goes, ah, you're wrong. Because it was a specific group Of the Levites The Koahites were the group That are literally The Koh They were the the sons of Aaron He had three sons and one of them Was Kohite or Koeth, And they were the specific group That would carry it And so you know Pastor Dylan lost Trivial pursuit in Israel with these guys. But they were a son of Levi. They were grew into a clan. And they were the people that were honored with carrying the vessels. Nobody else could carry it. It was set aside for them. But I, don't, I, I know and can picture, you know, the honor that they had. But I remember back in... The 90s when I was working in a place called Inner City Ministries in the city of Providence and we were going through all of the housing development projects, we were doing outreach in the city, we were doing stuff like Serve Our City, we were doing uh, uh, kids programming outside and it was amazing to watch how we would walk into a neighborhood just like Serve Our City is doing now and it was like we slammed down the very throne of God and the presence of Jesus would show up and we would watch little kids with their hands raised, their tears coming down their Face. We never say, sang baby songs with them. We always sang songs that were the same ones that we were singing that connected with God. Watching all of a sudden everybody that was dealing respected it and they moved away from the area where we were. We were the only ones in that part of the, t- the city that could walk into the neighborhoods without getting beat up or stolen. It was funny like Providence College was right down the road. Kids would ride their bike through there and get jumped and, and mugged, and, and there was a police uh, training. Cadet Center right on the edge of the entire place. They, They had no control over the place, but we could walk down there at three in the morning, they'd be like, oh, Yogi Bear. You know what they were saying? They were like saying, oh, you're the people that show up here with Jesus. You and I get to carry the presence of God. We don't just get the burden of carrying the presence of God, we get the blessing of carrying God's presence. And guess what? You need to bring that presence with you to school, to work, to family gatherings, to friendships, to conflicts. You and I can bear and carry the presence of God into situations. Why? Because God uses people to usher His presence. It's not a magic prayer. It's not like you and I can just stop where we are and say, oh God, God of heaven, if you could come down and sit on an ark for the Israelites, then God, you can come down and sit in my heart right now and give me the peace I need. You can give me the words I need. You can give me the courage that I need. You could give me the strength that I need. You could give me the self-control that I need. You could give me the love that I need. Oh God, show up. Because God uses people. You and I miss so many opportunities to usher in the presence of God. When somebody comes to you, I've learned this, when somebody comes to you and complains about their life or their problem or panics to you about your pain or your problem, as Christians, we, we think we got to start handling the problem. And yeah, there's, there's words of wisdom that God can speak through us, but really what we should do is be like, would it be okay if I pray with you? You know why? Because God's presence changes everything. God's presence changes everything. When was the last time somebody began to panic with a problem and you said, is it all right if I pray with you? have you never had that opportunity where you just said i'm just going to go for it i don't care if they think i'm crazy we don't have to be weird as christians i think that 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 it is just such an amazing thing that we experience and take for granted but it doesn't matter whether they know jesus or not you can pause in that moment and say i want to pray for you and you begin to pray for those people and watch god why because people god uses people to usher in his presence not only that but he also uses memories to provoke his presence. When the Israelites came into the land, he said, pile up 12 stones. And he said, I want you to put them there so that when your children ask you, what are they there for? You can say, this is when the Lord parted the sea. You see, you can't pass your Christianity, your Christianity on to your kids. You can only pass on the work and the testimony of what he's done for you, and your kids have to choose that for themselves, your family, the people around us have to do that. But sharing not only a moment of prayer with people, but sharing what God's done is so important. In fact, this was called the Ark of Testimony, as well as it was called the Ark of the Covenant. And the testimony is because of what God put in it. He put in there one of the two copies of the Ten Commandments, He said, let me tell you how I operate, what what I'm looking from you, what godly behavior looks like so that if you deviate from it, you can come back to this mercy seat, not to find shame. It wasn't called the judgment seat. It was called the mercy seat. The judgment seat of Christ is what we will face when we stand to give an account for our life. But for now, we have access to the mercy seat, and some of us need to get running to this thing. But he put inside of it the Ten Commandments and said, this is going to show you When you need mercy, how you need mercy, why you need mercy, my testimony is in there. Not only that, but they put the manna, some of the manna that was in the wilderness, and they put it inside the ark of the testimony as a testimony to remind you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from God's mouth. But man needs bread as well, and God can provide for your needs. And I don't care if you're a widow in a fixed income, if you're a single parent in a difficult situation, if you're in between work or you are in a a, uh, rock and a hard place with a limited salary and your expenses exceed your, your resources, God can provide manna that takes care of every single need. That's, that's, that's why it was called the Ark of Testimony. Not only that, but Aaron's rod was put in there as well. Twelve of the tribes were saying, why does God have to speak through him? He can speak through me just as much. But you know what? When you have, too, when you have uh, I, don't, I can't even say some stuff now because it's not culturally appropriate. It's shifted so much in my lifetime. But when you have too many leaders and not enough followers... That's a problem. And so God, every once in a while, he has to establish who's in charge, right? And so what does he do? He says, give all those rods. We'll put them before the ark of God and God will show who he has chosen to represent him as priest. And they did and Aaron gave his rod. The next morning, all the rods were the same except Aaron's rod not only budded a branch but also produced an almond. It produced fruit. Leadership produces fruit. And God said, take that rod and put it in there to know that I will provide for your needs, to know that I have a a law and a covenant relationship with you, but I also have a seat called the mercy seat when you violate that law. But then I also have leaders that I establish, and I want you to be able to follow and know that 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 is me. And God put those inside this place to say, I haven't left you leaderless, I haven't left you foodless, and I haven't left you Uh, uh, without guidance, but I've given you testimony, and God will use memories to provoke that. I, I I remember one great Methodist preacher, his name was John Wesley. The first time he ever experienced the ark presence of God, he was in a garden, and he said, my heart was strangely warmed. I don't know if you've ever experienced that when you're praying, and then all of a sudden God just shows up. If you haven't, boy, I would be saying, God, fill me with your presence. Fill me with your spirit. God, make me an ark where you not just sit, but you show up. Why? Because the presence of God changes everything. See, we don't come to church to learn moral living and moral code. You know, Hal Lindsey offers that. (laughs) The Code of Hammurabi offers that. We're talking about God Almighty, making His presence in you, He aligns our attitude, He changes our life, He shifts our thinking. The presence of God changes everything, and for some of us, it's been too long since we've had a memory of God's presence. And I feel like the Lord would say to us, "It's time for some new memories." In fact, it's time for some new dreams. What if you move from memories of what God did to dreaming what God could do in your life? The, uh, the presence of God always came in an ark with cloud and fire. And if you look at if you look at this, I'm not talking about earth, wind, and fire. Although, how many of you remember them? September. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I was going to play it and then I said, no, nah, some of you lose your mind. You know, Pastor, that, but Earth, Not earth, wind, and fire, but he came with ark, cloud, and fire. Listen to this. Listen to this powerful moment in the presence of God. It says this, it says in 1 Kings 8, 10 and 11, it says, when the priest came out of the holy place, a cloud filled the house of the Lord, so the priest could not stand to minister because the cloud, for uh, because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house. There's two concepts there. There's always here the Shekinah glory. It's overrated most times. It's not just talking about like the cloud. It's not just the cloud of God's presence. Although that's who God was. He led them through the wilderness as a pillar of cloud. And as a cloud, that's a tornado with a huge cloud covering that kept them from shade. And then at night, it was a pillar of fire bursting out around them to give them warmth. I don't know about you, but I like the lights out when I sleep. But, you know, it's kind of strange that you see God showing up at night with light. There comes a point where you got to shut the light off or otherwise you're going to... How many of you are upset with your kids for leaving the light on when they go to sleep? Um, or we maybe are afraid of the dark, or those kind of things, but in that part of the world, if you had to walk in the sun constantly, you, you would die. If you had to go to sleep that night and had no warmth, you would freeze. It's not uncommon for people to pass away in the wilderness if they don't know how the elements work there, to die of exposure from the sun or to die of hypothermia at night, and yet they're in the middle of a desert. It's like Mount Washington, you know? It takes more lives than you realize, but... The truth of the matter is is that God shows up with that, he shows up with fire, he shows up with light, and there was a heritage around this whole thing of the Ark of the Covenant that scared them too. There was one story of when David wanted to bring the Ark into Jerusalem and they decided to bring it on a cart, probably because the, the way that the Philistines returned it to him was on a cart. The Philistines stole, got the Ark. They thought, oh, it's all about the ark. Let's just go out to battle. The Israelites took the ark of God and said, God's going to give us victory because we've got the ark of the covenant. And they went out to battle. They made such a loud noise. The earth quaked, and the Bible says that the Philistines were terrified and said there's a God among them. But then when they went onto the battlefield, they found out that it's not the ark of God. It's the God of the ark. And so the Philistines defeated them, and they took the ark away from them. Total humiliation. And then finally, how many of you have ever had somebody take the ark of God from you? You know what that looks like? I can't stand that person. How dare they? Or they, keep, they keep taking for, how many of you have ever had that somebody offend you and it, man, nothing will steal the, the presence of God from you more than living a life constantly offended. Sad, it's a sad existence. I'm sad for you if you walk around constantly mad at people and and angry at people and offended by things we should be the kind of people with the presence of God that are like you know what god'll work it out you know what i love you i mean you can you can agree to disagree with people and walk around with love in your spirit but jesus jesus said if you can't forgive those who, who sin against you, how can your Heavenly Father forgive you? This is for somebody that's listening. Maybe right here, maybe online, maybe most. most. If you're here and you're calling yourself a follower of Christ, and you've got bitterness towards somebody, and you've got a, a bad, bitter unforgiveness, say, I'll forgive, I'll never forget, which is not forgiving anymore, God, God can't forgive you of your sins. You're not right vertically, you're not right vertically unless you're right horizontally. Somebody say amen that, to that truth. You need to get that right. And we've got a whole counseling service that's designed for that. There's an app for that. But coming back to this truth, they were terrified. And then finally, David decides, well, how are we going to bring the presence of God? They get the ark back because everybody's dying of tumors. And the Philistines are like, get this thing out of here. Their God is cursing us. And then the ark comes to rest in Shiloh, and then finally the day comes that David says, it's time to put the ark where it belongs in Jerusalem. And so instead of following what God said to get the poles and have the Kohites, bear it. Now, you, you, you can't just take the easy way out when it comes to the presence of God. You might be saying, I don't understand why the presence of God isn't present with me. There are dry seasons, but sometimes you, you have to work To usher in the presence of god you have to carry it in prayer you have to bear the weight of it you have to bear the responsibility of it and god designed it this item his presence his seat his throne never to be laid on a cart for an ox to do the work it was always to be bared upon the shoulders of us and they would carry that presence in and then all of a sudden the cart shifts and Uzzah touches it and the bible says he's struck dead and they're like oh my goodness Nobody's safe around this thing. And yet, generals would walk in. It was always, there's always the detail of what was going on around that story. What was the offense? The offense to God was not that the Philistines put it on a cart. They didn't know him. They didn't have relationship. They weren't in covenant with him. The offense to God was that that these were his people. They should have known better. They should have done it the way that he prescribed it. And so, as I get ready to close here, I would say the real shift here for all of us is that we need to understand that at the end of the day, God's presence is for us. There's no ark of the covenant. There's no holy of holies. There's no veil. There's you, and Jesus, and God wants to meet with you. In fact, a couple of verses here, and you can pull them up as I mention them, but Acts chapter 7, verse 48, reads like this. However, the Most High does not dwell in temples made with hands. We're in a building and yep, this was built by hands of people But it's really god's people here that brings his presence not this building First corinthians three sixteen reads like this do you not know that you are the temple of god and that god's spirit dwells in you See you are the tabernacle you are the temple You are the one to raise prayers be a light receive sustenance from god Get things right with God. Have an honest look at truth. We have this saying, someone would say, what are your core values? Man, the the bronze is mine. I believe with all of my heart, you cannot let mercy have its way unless you let truth have its day. Jesus came in grace and truth. He never gives up truth for grace, nor does he ever give up grace for truth. But truth is like the pavement that gets us to the destination of the mercy seat. We're only as strong as we are honest. God's made you his temple. You can play, I don't know if that's... Listen to this verse, 1 Corinthians 1.16. Christ in us, the hope of glory. And at the end of all of this, at the end of this whole... Chapter in Exodus 33, Moses has this moment. It says it like this, and I'll read it to you. Just chapter 33, I encourage you to read it, but verses 2 through 3 and 13 through 20. I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey but I will not go up among you lest I consume you on the way for you are stiff-necked people. This is where they sent out the 12 spies and 10 of them came back and said, we can't, we can't. And Caleb, Caleb and Joshua said, we can. And guess what? They ended up doing it. The other 10 never lived to see that day. Joshua and Caleb did. Now, therefore, if I have found favor, this is Moses praying to God, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me your way. That I might know you in order that in order to find favor in your sight consider too this nation as your people and he said this to him Moses my presence will go with you and give you rest and he said to him if your presence will not go up with me do not bring us up from here for how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight I and your people is it not In your going with us, so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth. Moses said, please, show me your glory. And he said, I will make all of my goodness pass before you and proclaim before you the name of the Lord, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. Think about this. Moses has done all of this and he says, Oh God, I just I just ask one thing of you. Your presence. Your presence. In fact, I'm not going to move until I see your presence. See, the truth is, is, we should be moving towards God's presence, but many of us have learned to live a life where we can move without God's presence. We move with our intellect. We move with our ability. We move with our skill. We move with this. And Moses says, how else will they know that we are your people unless, unless you're moving with us? And I felt this is a moment that we could just take, whether you're online or you're here, to just pray and say, oh, God, I want to know your presence again. That sweet presence that changes my thinking That gentle presence that comforts my heart. That presence that when I walk into a room, somebody says, there's something different about that person. That presence that wakes me up in the middle of the night. That presence that comforts me to be able to sleep in an hour of grief. Oh God, I need your presence. Don't you know? You're God's temple and God's spirit dwells within you. And so, Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, whether we're online or we're here, we just pause and we say to you, oh God, show us your glory. Help us to feel the weight of your presence. That's what that word means. The weight of your presence, your glory. Help us to be a people of your presence again. Help us to stop trying to put the ark of God on past knowledge and past experiences. Help us to start bearing the weight of it on our shoulder again. We have a responsibility. You use people to usher the presence of God. We can bring you to work. We can bring you to family crises. We can bring you to our problems. We can bring you to our children. Oh, God, we don't want to just pass stories to them. We want to pass your presence. Lord, may your presence go with us and give us rest. Show us your glory, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. My encouragement to you this week, as you go your separate ways, and you reflect on this, reflect on the truth, say, God, I wanna be a person of your presence that radiates off of my life, that it centers me. God loves you. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. God's Spirit dwells in you. He loves you. fault. I'm going to have Ethan continue to play here, my son. And uh, you can sit there quietly. You can do whatever you, you'd like to do. You can slip out. Be God's temple. God bless you. Thank you so much for being with us. We'll see you next week. When my friend who is working in Iraq and his family is here to share with us, incredible, incredible, incredible. You won't want to miss it. You'd want to drag a friend with you for sure. God bless you. Rest in the presence of God.